All right, so here's what we have. We're going to uh, do Father Heart. And um, I'll, I'll just tell you this. This is a, a bit of an introduction because there's a lot to this in the Bible. And so when we talk about Father Heart, it's one of the key ways that God presents himself. He presents himself as a father. And so uh, I'll just tell you that there's a lot more available beyond this. You can go to my website, billyhumphrey.com, or go to Apple Play or Google Play, Apple iTunes, and I've got like eight sessions, hour long, on Father Heart. Um, so uh, let's do this. Let's pray, and then we will start with the outline that just says Father Heart of God. I wanted to give you these outlines because I've found over the years people really go back and refer to these notes, and it helps them to just grow in intimacy with the Lord and to sort of unpack, you know, things that have been working in their hearts and stuff they didn't even know was there. So uh, let's go ahead, let's pray, and then we'll get into the, the content. So Jesus, we love you so much. We're here because we want to encounter you again this morning. We want to look at you in the word and allow your word to wash over us and to speak to us. So I pray right now for the spirit of revelation to fall on us here in this room. And would you spark our imagination and enlighten our minds that we would be able to, to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. So Holy Spirit, thank you for being the teacher. Thank you for being the instructor. So enable us to understand mysteries and wonders of who God is, the way God relates to us, the, the dynamics of, of your emotions and your heart and reveal the Father to us. Holy Spirit, reveal the Father to us. And we just give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So, um, Father Heart. So this message is a critical foundational message um, in Christianity. And it's odd to me because as I was coming up serving the Lord... I was literally, I'd been in ministry uh, 10 years before I ever even heard this message, which is just so odd to me that, that it would be put on the back burner. And so I want to just emphasize the necessity that, that we have to come to real depth of understanding of this message, who God is as a father, the way he thinks, the way he feels, and the way he relates to us. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to deal with some of how we have um, sort of false paradigms of who God is based on some of our own personal experiences and then what the Lord says about that and then what the scripture says about that and, and trying to sort of get to the bottom of some of these areas uh, in our hearts where maybe we're not engaging the Lord, we're not engaging God as Father. I would encourage you this. Uh, you're in the room, don't think to yourself, man, this is a good message for someone else. Because oftentimes, you, you know, you think, well, I've heard something about that. I've, I definitely heard an intimacy message or two. I definitely know this. And you think, man, so-and-so really needs to hear this. And, and while that's a, a knee-jerk, you know, and maybe so-and-so does need to hear it, I would encourage you, instead of thinking it's about that other person, go ahead and put the spotlight on yourself. Allow you to be the focus today. Allow the Lord to deal right with you. And um, I know that what happens in this 
with this topic and with this content is people will begin to sort of like try to sidestep it and block and, and act like, oh, yeah, I'm good. And, and they're, they're actually dodging the arrows as they're coming from the Lord, the arrows of the Lord. And, uh, and I would just encourage you, don't do that. Just today, just do this. Just sit there and say, okay, Lord, hit me. Hit me with everything you got because I don't want to have a false image of you or a, a wrong understanding of you. I want the reality of who you are. So, so even right now, just like, just put your hand on your heart and let's just, let's just all together. Let's just pray and say, Jesus, I want everything you have for me. Speak to me and change my life today. In Jesus name. Amen. Okay. So let's look at this, uh, first page, uh, foundations class, father heart of God. And, uh, let's look at this, uh, Roman number one, our internal image of God. So the way that we perceive God is oftentimes dramatically affected by the relationships and experiences that we've had with um, our earthly father or earthly father figures. It could be a teacher, a coach, a pastor, or your your own dad. And, And the Lord sets that up on purpose. He gives us the family unit, mother and father, uh, to speak to us of his own nature. Because humans are created in the image and likeness of God. And male and female, he created them. And so he's speaking to us of the reality of who he is as father and mother through the family unit. So when we, when we have this sort of experience as a child, mom and dad, that they're supposed to actually speak to us of what God is like. The challenge that basically everybody has is you you don't get a perfect mom and dad everybody gets a broken mom and dad now you can have the most godly parents around and they're still broken they they still have areas of imperfection they still flaws they will still make mistakes and and so what we what we realize is that our parents leave an imprint uh that gives us sort of a uh an introduction into the knowledge of God and whatever that imprint is, it speaks to us of who God, uh, of the way we perceive God, of how we think of God. And so here's what I found over the years. This is so interesting in the house of prayer because a lot of people are drawn to the house of prayer because of the intimacy message that we preach. And, and a lot of people love the concept of Jesus, the bridegroom, that he is a bridegroom who's radically in love, burning in love with his people. He's coming back to avenge his bride and, and they just love that story. But then when we start talking about father, especially the younger generation, oftentimes they just sort of check out on that. And they don't, they don't want to actually go into the revelation of who God is as father. And the reason why is because of that internal image that they're experiencing. That it's something that's different than what God is really like. And so they have uh, these challenges of pain and, and um, difficulty in their past. And so they end up ascribing those things to God and they project upon God those challenges with that, with that natural father. And, and so that ends up leaving us skewed in our mentality of God. It, leads, it ends up leaving us aloof. You find you don't want to really get um, vulnerable with God because the way you're thinking about him is the way you're thinking about that father or father figure. 
And, and the, the, the challenge is you don't even realize it, but you might love Jesus, but you're completely aloof from God as Father. And what you're walking around with is this perverted and distorted view of God. You're a Christian, love Jesus, and your view of who the Father is is completely twisted because of those natural examples. And so I found so many believers just in that place. They're hurting. They, 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 they live shallow. They live distant. They love Jesus. But when it comes to the Father, they completely live distant. And, and, and it's, a, it's a brokenness that God wants to address because he's not sitting there saying to you, you should know better. You should have done better. You should have learned by now. He's not saying those things. He's actually saying, come to me. And when we find out what he's really like, he becomes the easiest one to come to. And our hearts undergo an amazing amount of healing. And uh, what's interesting about Jesus is he is the express image of the Father. What we see in Jesus is geared to draw us to the Father. He came to show us the Father. So it's really odd that you'd be like, I'm into Jesus, but that Father thing, not so much. It's really odd because Jesus came to express the Father and everything he said and did is what the Father showed him. So he's showing us the Father constantly. So um, here's what happens. When we are twisted and perverted in our minds, what we, what we do is we trade this image of God who's kind, loving, welcoming, comforting, caring. We trade that for that image of that natural experience that we had that's so far insufficient compared to him. It's infinitely beneath what he's like. And, and uh, what happens is it, it inhibits our ability to, to receive love. And that's what you're made for. You're made to receive love. I remember I was, uh, I was a youth pastor and I was having a real hard time in the ministry. It was just difficult. Um, I had a bunch of young people that were just, they were just doing like a mutiny. They're, you know, they just decided, we don't like you anymore, we're done. And it was, it felt like everybody, but it was like five, but it felt like everybody. And uh, I remember just being under the, the pain of like, this is so hard and ministry is so hard. And just, you know, I'm a, I was a young man at the time and just going through this difficulty. And I, and I remember saying to the Lord in this moment of like, just fatigue and pain. I literally prayed this prayer. I said, God, why did you even make people? We're all going to hell anyway. <laughs> and you know, you think, well, hopefully you'd be a little bit more spiritual than that, but that was it. That was <laughs> as spiritual as I could be in that moment. Why'd you even make us? We're all going to hell. And, um, and I remember the Lord speaks to me in that place. And he just goes, he says it back to me. He goes, why did I make you? And uh, man, when I, and I, I remember where I was. I was driving on the, on the road with my wife in the car. She was asleep. It was in this, you know, this kind of late night. We'd been out to eat and I was so full. And I was just like, I don't want to be messed with by you right now. Uh, and, and, he, and he said, why did I make you? And I'm like, oh, no, no. Because when he starts asking you a question... It's because it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because he's trying to get into your stuff. You know, he's getting into your heart. And I went, no. And he goes, he goes, no. Why did I make you? I was never so clear, so clear. Why did I make you? He says it again, and I, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh God, 
And I just start thinking, I don't know. You, 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 made, me, you made me to serve you. You know, just throw the, you made me to serve you. He said, I, it, is, it came so clean. I have 10,000 times 10,000 servant angels. What could you possibly do for me? I'm like, oh, you're not making it any better. Like that didn't, whatever this is I'm feeling, that didn't help at all. He says it again. Why did I make you? I'm like, Ugh. and then I, I said, I, you made me, you made me to worship. You made me to worship. And I don't know how God speaks to you, but in that moment, I got this scene from Men in Black come in my brain. Uh, and it's the one where they, I don't know if you've ever seen Men in Black, but what is the old one. But when they open the, the uh, locker in the train station and there's all these little guys in there and they're all going, hail, hail, hail. Anybody seen that one? Just me? Okay, just a couple people. <laughs> so they're all saying, hail, hail, hail. And God goes, you think that's how I am. That I, I want a bunch of little ants to worship me. You think that's what I'm like. And I was like, uh, no, you're not like that. And he says it again. Why did I make you? And man, it's like at this point, I'm, I'm like, man, I'm in ministry. I've been in ministry like a while. And I don't even know why God created human beings. Like this is bad. So it starts like way like, okay, I don't, I don't even know the purpose of humanity. And uh, <clears throat> finally, I just went broad. And I said, you, uh, you made me to fulfill my purpose. And he goes, son, without me, you'd have no purpose. So I was like, yeah, so it couldn't be to fulfill my purpose because you're the one that gives purposes. Uh, you're, you're the only purpose there is. And I literally, I'd been in ministry eight or nine years at this time, full time. I literally said, God, I have no idea why you made us. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't even know why we're here. We're not here to serve you. We're not here to worship you. We're not here to fulfill our purpose. What are we here for? I, I don't know. God, I don't know. And, he's, and he, he says it real clean. Just, it's just, this, all, this whole conversation happened in about what seemed like 15 seconds. I mean, just in your mind, it goes, do, 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 do. But uh, he says it real clean. He quotes first, or he, said, he asked the question about First John 4. He says, son, what am I? What am I? And I said, your love, your love. And he said, that's right. And he said, and this is what he said. He goes, love must love. And when he said that to me, I was like, wait. You're, you're not just love like I need to understand you as love. You're love in the sense of you're the action love. And he said, I didn't make you to do anything for me. I made you to be loved by me. And he started breaking down all of my ideas of serving God that I had because I had all this mentality that I was to serve God to get his approval. You know what I'm saying? To, to get an, a level of achievement. And the Lord said, no. No, I've made you to be something, not to do something. I've made you to be loved by me. And, uh, and then he said this. He goes, I'll give you anything 
that will evoke a pure response of love from your heart to me. I was like, that is not what I think. I think I have to work and work and work and work and then maybe I get like a a drip of your heart towards me. He goes, no, no, I'll give you anything that will evoke a pure response of love from your heart towards me. Love must love. And I think in that moment for me, it was just a game changer. Because I, up to that time, thought I serve God to get love. I work to be accepted. And what I had to realize was every environment that I'd ever been in, achievement was awarded. Right? And that's the American way, right? We, we award those who achieve. We award those who work. And uh, so here I am, and I'm realizing everything in my mind is built on if I do more, I, I get more. If, if, I, if I do better, I'm, I'm liked more. You know, I'm awarded with affection and, and, you know, whatever, money or whatever status. I'm awarded if I do more. And, uh, and God's saying, none of that. None of that. I made you to love you. I created you to love you. You don't have to do anything. And it, what I realized, it was my false images in my mind about what God was like from leaders, fathers, others. That was causing me to think, I've got to do all this for you to get you to like me. And this is what I had to come to grips with. Whether I do well or whether I do poorly. Whether I achieve or whether I fail. Whether I'm the president or whether I'm a janitor. None of it matters. He loves me ever still. He loves me the same. He loves me the same. And man, that was a massive, massive game changer for me. Let's look at Roman numeral two. Let's talk about this thing that keeps us out of the knowledge of the love of God. Because we're realizing that maybe we've got false images of God that have come from our maybe negative examples. Uh, Let's consider now what that looks like when those mentalities begin to get lodged in our mind. We call it the orphan mentality. Orphan mentality is not a, a biblical term, but it explains how we end up responding to God. So uh, I say it this way, and this is a progression. So I put this in your notes so you can go back and look at it later because this is the way this thing progresses in people. But a, a hurt from a father or a father figure, it manifests in us, our lives by living like a, a spiritual orphan. And this is what the progression looks like. Number one, we, we start with a fear of submission to authority or authority figures. I just think about all these young guys, so, with so, guys, girls, so much attitude towards every authority that's around. And I go, where's that rooted from? Because they've got a broken image of what an authority figure is. And where do they, why do they have that broken image? Probably because of some experience they've had. And when you have that orphan mentality, it comes out instantly like this rebellious thing, this, this, uh, you know, fear of submission, uh, this distrust of authority. You, you live either um, uh, aloof or, or in fear or rebellious, especially towards male authorities. This happens for guys and girls. That results in a closed spirit. You close off your heart 
Um, and, and, and what you do is you don't allow anybody that's in leadership to get in there. You just, it's just a business transaction. The, the leader is just, it's just a, a, you know, a hierarchy. It's just a business transaction. It's actually not going to be relational at all. So you close off your spirit towards, towards the leader and unintentionally you close off your spirit towards God. And then third, a, a closed spirit, it leads you to an unhealthy independence. And you just get this mentality, I just got to do it myself. I'm just got to take care of myself. It's gonna, it, I'll, I'll do this. I'll take care of things. And, and when you live that way and you're solely relying upon yourself, uh, you know, there's a couple things going on. One, you're afraid maybe others will let you down. And the pain of thinking, they might let me down. I can't trust them because they might let me down. It's actually motivating you to, to achieve on your own. Just, just, it's just terrible. Just a terrible way to live. And I watch people all the time. They will not trust anyone but themselves because they're so afraid that if they trust, their trust will get shattered. And, and here's the thing. Guess what? We're all imperfect. We're all broken. Our leaders will let us down. That's reality. But God never will. God never will. So, um, you're, so you're, you're unhealthily independent. You're aloof towards leaders. You don't trust. Your spirit is closed. You've got this independent spirit. And what happens in that place is you just act like you're never hurting. You act like you don't have a problem. Like there's never any pain. And so you, you deny pain and hurt at all costs. I'm fine. I'm good. How are you? Blessed? Yeah, blessed? Yeah, blessed. Praise God. In church, we train people to say that they are blessed and doing well when their inside is in like a meltdown. Amen. Because it's so, uh, it's so out of place for a Christian to act like they've got issues. Because you're supposed to be born again. You're supposed to be alive in God. You're supposed to be happy, full of joy. And you are on the inside in full meltdown. And you're unwilling to share that with anybody. And you're unwilling to open up to anyone in authority that could help. And so you're just in this broken spot, denying or hiding pain. And uh, this is so, I mean, this is like epidemic in this generation. Because if you show your weakness, it's so frowned on. You show your neediness, it's, it's so uh, despised. And so we don't let people know our weakness. We don't let them know our pain. We, we're afraid of being vulnerable. And we don't want to seem needy. This is what an orphan looks and feels like. Now, here's what I'm telling you right now. Don't duck. Everybody's got a little of this. Don't like, oh, yeah, they really need to hear that. No, no. <laughs> you really need to hear this. I, I just know. I've, I've been doing this long enough to know. I, I know... 50-year-olds that are dealing with that right now. I mean, seriously, 35-year-olds. And, and at any given time, I'm literally ministering to somebody in a discipleship manner that's dealing with the, this pro- process. So this un- unhealthy independence, this closed spirit, five, it manifests in a lot of times control. You control your relationships. And you control through a couple of things. Some people control through anger. Some people control through isolation. Some people co- control through passivity. Some people control through uh, humor. 
when I was a youth pastor, I could always, I always, whenever the, the kid came in that was the loud clown kid, it was just a minute of time until I was in that kid's heart because I knew he was hurting. The clown was always, he was trying to sleight of hand it, right? He was trying to act all happy over here because he's dying over there. It was just another measure of control. Isolation, passivity, anger. Those are ways that we try to control our environment, to not let people ultimately in. And, uh, and we're doing that to block. We're doing that to shield. We don't want to be exposed. Or we don't want to be rejected. And so when we live like this, we're superficial in every relationship. And this is where it comes home. You end up with a whole bunch of people that know you and nobody knows you. you everybody around could know your name, but nobody knows your heart. And that's what it looks like to be an orphan, to be isolated, alone, without ever exposing yourself because of fear. And uh, people live their whole lives this way. Friends not allowed in, family not allowed in, even in the church. So going a little deeper, Roman numeral three, let's look at that. That's the progression of how this thing roots in us. Let's look at some of the traits um, what tends to happen when you're operating in an orphan mentality is if you think about an orphan, you think about somebody who doesn't have parents, you think about somebody that's left on their own, their number one um, expression of life is, how do I get for myself? How do I get for myself? I've got to get for myself. And the reason why they're trying to get for themselves is because they don't believe that they've got an inheritance. They don't believe they've got any backup. They don't believe there's anyone that's going to look out for them. So they've got to attain for themselves. And what they tend to do is they use these counterfeit affections to fill that pain, fill that void, and to try to provide uh, you know, for their own stability. So they find security in possessions. They find uh, an outlet in like, counterfeit passions, like addictions and compulsions. This generation, I'm just saying the people that are on the earth right now, they're the most compulsive people. Like They're addicted to everything. It's, it's wild. There's so many things that people are, you know, locked on to. They'd be locked on to anything that just gives them that sense of meaning, that sense of purpose. Some, it's power or position. They're looking to ascend. This is so big in the church. So big in the church. Show up. Start serving. Because if you serve, you'll gain favor. Because we know we work to get approval. That's how an orphan thinks. And leadership is more than happy to accommodate that because they want people to serve. Because if everybody will serve, then the ministry will grow. So you end up with a ton of people running around serving, trying to curry favor with the leaders. The leaders are using that, leveraging that for their own benefit. And people are broken and they're distant from God, serving all the time, running themselves into the ground, burning out with their hearts completely dead. And they don't know the love of God. They don't even know why they're there. And for them, church is running, 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 running for what? For what? To build a ministry. And I'll just say this. God doesn't care about our ministries. He cares about the glory of his son. 
Jesus is so super clear when he shows up in, in, the, in the book of Revelations and he shows Revelation and he shows up and he's walking through the lampstands and he's, he's sort of giving each one of these churches sort of a, a review and he's literally saying, I'll take your lampstand away. Like Jesus doesn't care about our ministry, our title, our platform. The, the Godhead is singularly interested in one thing, the glory of God being manifest. Every person coming to know the glory of God, because it's only in there that we find our purpose, our meaning. Our, it's only in there that we're healthy, that we're alive, that we know love. He will shut the doors instantaneously. Malachi 1, he goes, you're offering profane offerings. I'd rather you shut the doors on the temple in, in Jerusalem. I'd rather you just shut the doors. I mean, that's the Lord's mentality about our ministries when they're not centered around who he is. Because if they're centered around men, men make servants, men manipulate orphans. But if they're centered around Jesus, Jesus leads us to the Father and we operate as sons and daughters. Amen. So uh, these counterfeit passions, they end up dominating our lives. Um, people with an orphan mentality have difficulty receiving love receiving acceptance. They're so walled in, they just won't let people love them. It's easy for me to spot this as a pastor. Uh, it, it's so obvious. You know, the new guy comes, you give him a high five, he's like, yeah, what's up? And just like, totally like, brushing you off. And if you go put your arm on them, then bristle up and it's like, oh, oh, I get it. I'm the image of the bad figure you had. That's why you're acting like this. I, I get it. They don't receive encouragement well. They don't receive a, you know, um, blessing well. Um, they don't receive correction well. You know, because it's so scandalous. I've been working, working, working to get you to approve of me, and you're correcting me. You must hate me. You must disapprove of me. The orphan mentality. No, see, when God corrects us, it's because He loves us. He's helping us. He's helping us. I like telling the story. It's a funny story. My uh, my youngest son, Kobe. You probably remember this. We're sitting there around the, the dinner table, and we're eating spaghetti. And Mary Beth's in the prayer room, and she's got a spaghetti. So I'm I'm just like trying to just hold it together. Like I got three little guys. They're all like six and under, five and under at that time, I think. And, and it's just like, for me to do, like, one night at home is like winning the war. And I, I, but I did it every week. I did it, like, every week. Mary Beth, I just wanted her to get out, and I'd do the thing. And, uh, and I remember this one night, we had spaghetti. And, uh, and for whatever reason, Kobe just thought the spaghetti was so interesting. And, uh, and he picks up the spaghetti, like, two or three. Picks up the spaghetti, and he's, like, holding it in his hands and stuff. And I'm like, okay, put the spaghetti down, son. <laughs> put the spaghetti down. And he's like, hee, hee, he's like laughing about it. And he takes his beat, he looks at me, and he's like, ha, ha, ha. And he looks at the wall, and I'm like, like, uh, 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 don't do that. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. And he's like, and he throws it against the wall, and I'm like, dude. And in that moment, I just start laughing, because it's so funny. And... Then I go, no, no, no spaghetti throwing against the wall. 
And the reason why I'm correcting him is because I don't want him to grow up imagining that throwing spaghetti against the wall is normative behavior for any human being. I don't want him to go out on his first date and be like, I really like you. You know, like, I, I don't, I, I want to correct that behavior because it's not good. It's not good. But I'm not angry at him in the correction. I'm actually enjoying him in the correction, enjoying his personality and thinking about who he's going to be. And I remember when I, that happened for me, I thought about it later and the Lord instructed me. And he said, see how you corrected your son? And I was like, I don't think I really corrected him. I just, you know, it's funny. And he goes, no, that's how you corrected him. And that's how I correct you. And I went, you mean you look at me like I'm a three-year-old? He goes, yeah, I know your frame. I know you're just dust. I'm like, what? Like, because I was certain every time he was correcting me, he was flying off the handle. Well, I had a father figure in my life that every time they corrected me, they exploded in anger. And so I remember making that link. You're not exploding in anger at me. You're actually enjoying me. He goes, yeah, my correction is my love. And so when you have an orphan thing going on in your mind and your heart, it's super hard because correction seems so scandalous because everything your life is built on is attaining approval. And, and if you realize that you're actually approved of regardless of your, your actions, regardless of your performance, then, then you can stand confidently in, in the place of correction and you welcome it. So, uh, yeah, I, I break that all down in, in, in letter C on page two. Um, someone living with an orphan mentality, if they feel they've performed well, uh, they feel accepted. And if they feel they've performed poorly, they feel rejected. And our acceptance by God is never dependent upon our performance. His love toward us, we know this, but we do not know this. It's without condition. His love towards us is without condition. This is critical. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. You, you can have the best day praying in the prayer room ever. You can go witnessing on the campus and win 10 people to Jesus. God does not love you anymore because of that. And, and on the inside, you might be like, well, dang, how come he doesn't love me more? Because it's not based on your performance. It's not based on that. Well, what do you mean it's not based on that? It's based on him. He loves. Love must love. It's based on his heart. That's who he is. I'll tell you one more kid story. I won't tell any Sia stories because he's here. <laughs> but I remember... Uh, each time, well, this does count for size, but each time that my, my sons and my daughter, each time one of the kids was born, I mean, I just broke down crying. I just, you know, 
I'm, a, I'm more of a crier now. I used to not be a crier, and now I'm like a, pretty much a mush ball. And, um, but I remember just, just weeping every single time because there's this dynamic thing that happens to you when you become a parent that that little child, you don't, you don't even know how this is happening, but you fall radical in love with that kid I mean, you're in love with them before you see them. You know, the baby's there in the belly, and you're like, yes, can you hear me in there? I love you, you know. But then when they come out, that first few moments is like, it's volcanic. It's so powerful. And uh, it's so odd, too, because that child doesn't know your name, can't see you, can't respond to you can't do anything for you. They, can, they, they can't do anything. They're just laying there. And they're just... <laughs> and they're just kind of there. And you are so in love with them. Like, you're so in love with them. And uh, I, I say it's like skin wrapped around jello. You know, they're just... But you're so in love with them. And... Uh, and I remember the Lord speaking into me just through those experiences and him just saying to me, having to untie these knots in my own heart, I said, why do you love your children? They haven't done anything for you. You don't even know if they're going to like you. You don't know if they're going to do the chores well. You don't know if they're going to accomplish anything in life. Why do you love them? And I just, I, I couldn't, I just do. I'm just in love with them. And he said, son, that's how I feel about you. Before you did anything for me, before you knew my name, before you could even recognize me, before you even knew what my voice was, what I was even saying, I loved you. So that's what the scripture says in Jeremiah. It says, I loved you with an everlasting love. I loved you with an everlasting. He loved you before you ever came into being. He was falling radically in love with you. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. But when we think that somehow our, our performance betters the love of God for us, we've completely misunderstood who he is. And that's kind of the nexus of what it means to be operating in an orphan mentality. Thinking that somehow the way you perform for God or how well you do that it, it, it is somehow impacting his affection for you. It is not. It is not. Even in your sin. Even in sin. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, the unsaved, that he gave Jesus. It's, I mean, it is shocking to, believe, to understand this. That the love of God is the same even when we sin. So intense. So, um, D, I mentioned this, that orphan mentality comes out oftentimes as self-hatred. You know, body image issues, huge in this generation. Huge. Not comfortable with who you are. Not comfortable with the way you look. So, you know, so moved by what everyone else thinks. You know, and our social media environment so fuels that. And God, he's, he's sitting there thinking, 
I've been dreaming of you forever. I wove together the DNA of a thousand generations just to get to you. You are, you are a masterpiece to me. I want you just the way you are. There's no one like you. Even if you're a twin, a triplet, there's no one like you. Okay, flip on over. Yeah, E, I just mentioned top of page three. Forgiveness is so difficult when you have an orphan mentality. Forgiving yourself is so difficult. Forgiving others is so difficult. It's so hard to release and let go. All right, Roman number four. And I think we'll do this one and then we'll just pray for a moment and take a little break. It's a little hot in here too, hey? Yeah. It's the conviction of the Lord. No. The fire of God is falling. So here's the thing. The orphan mentality, it's not a demon. It's not something we cast out. It's something we displace with truth. Truth hits our minds, revelation comes, and then wrong thought patterns are revealed. And in those moments when those wrong thought patterns are revealed, we have the choice. Do I stay with the wrong mentality, the orphan mentality, or do I agree with truth? And so many people, I watch them, they come right up to the edge and, and truth is confronting them and it's offering them liberty, it's offering them love and freedom. And they literally will say this, it's too good to be true. It's too good to be true. I'd rather live as a slave and an orphan. Because at least that's safe and it's what I know. And I just tell you, this is hitting you at all. Man, he is so much saying, come out of that. He, he doesn't want you to live as a slave. He doesn't want you to live as a servant, as an orphan. He didn't make you for that. He made you to love you, to flow back and forth in love with him. So this thing has got to be, it's got to be displaced. And, and, and the challenge is we'll spend, you know, 30 years of our life or 20 years of our life. And we'll be looking at the world through those lenses, that orphan mentality lens. And what we want is to hear one message and we're completely delivered. And I'll just say my own experience. I literally had to meditate on the truths of God's love for me, the, the message of the father heart and the message of the bridal paradigm. I had to meditate on it for 10 years until I sensed this like deep connection in my spirit. What I mean is this. I was literally saying it out of my mouth, believing it and preaching these truths and on the inside, there was a dissonance. There was a, 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 an alternate feeling. I didn't feel the truth of it. It wasn't real in my own heart. I knew it was real. I knew it was truth. I was choosing to believe it. But because I'd so trained my mind the other direction that I would say it, and it was like, you know, that the, the clashing notes, you know, when people play the wrong note, and they go, and it's just bad. I, it was like that inside of me. I'm, I'm saying a certain thing, and on the inside, there's another thing playing. And what I had to do is I had to just wash my mind with the word until that internal song 
was matching the truth. And so when I, I don't remember exactly how it happened, when it happened, but I do remember this. One morning I was preaching on Father Heart and I was sharing, it's been, I don't know, 10 years ago or something. And, and I'm sharing the thing. And as I'm saying it, I'm saying, God likes me. It had this velvet feeling to it. And I said, I'm his favorite. And then I just, we just felt so good. And I was like, whoa, he really likes me. And as I'm preaching it, I begin to realize I, I don't doubt this anymore. This is real in me now. And uh, I literally have had counseling appointments where I'm telling people, you know, they want some big complex answer. And I'm not the complex answer guy. You can go to a psychologist for that. I'm a, I'm a simple answer guy. God loves you. And if you know the love of God, it will settle so many other issues in your life. And, uh, and I've, I've literally sat in counseling appointments with people and they go, well, what do you think my problem is? I go, you don't know God's love. They go, no, I, I do. I go, I go, no, you don't. And I go, I go, let me just tell you, he really likes you. And they're like, yeah, I know that. I go, no, he likes you. And they're like, no, no I, I get it. I go, no, he likes you. He likes you. And I'll literally say that to him about 30 times until they're melting down crying in a ball. I'm like, thank you so much. That was such good counsel. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm a one-trick pony. The love of God is going to totally overwhelm your emotions and change your emotional chemistry, change your mental state, unlock you from being an orphan, unlock you from being a slave and a servant, and bring you into sonship. That's what the love of God does. You are created to be loved. You are set free to be loved. This is the way God made you. This is the glorious liberty of the sons of God, daughters of God, that we get to live free in love, unlocked, unlocked in love. So let me uh, pray for a moment and then we'll keep going. We'll take a break. We'll take like a five minute break and keep going. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, continue to crack us open. Crack us open. Crack our hearts open with the revelation of your love. We want to know how high, how wide, how deep, and how long is the love of God. I pray you shower each of us in the revelation of your affections. And in the places where we don't believe it's true, would you just, would you just overwhelm us? Bring us to a deep, deep revelation of who you are as Father, who you are as the lover of our soul. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. amen. Okay, let's take a five-minute break. We'll get started back at, at, at the hour at 11.